Uh, while Mike's making his way up here, uh, I'm, I think he's planning on doing a little bit of an introduction of himself, but I thought I'd say a little bit. Uh, Ronnie is out of town again this week, finishing up his vacation. Uh, so um, Michael Berg, one of our elders, is going to be preaching this morning. Um, and he has been pretty active with the youth group for a long time. He's a guy that uh, I've spent a lot of time with the last uh, several years, you know, just kind of iron sharpens iron a little bit. And I've really enjoyed getting to know him and grown a lot through that. So I'm excited to hear from him this morning. So bring it on. Thanks, Eric. Um, kind of stealing my thunder a little bit. That's how I was going to start, but that's all right. Um, so the first thing, first of all, good morning, church. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us either live or online. Um, as Eric said, my name is Mike. Um, I've been a member, well, I've been involved in this church since 2007 um, when I graduated from K-State. Um, I found my way over here in my first profession and uh, I've been here ever since. I've done most of my growth with this body in this body, so I'm really appreciative of that. I'm a, if you know me at all, I'm a, I talk a lot about who I used to be as opposed to who I am now um, because it's not the same person. And I, I attribute that obviously, number one, to God, but number two to this, the people in this congregation. So I appreciate that. Um, as he said, I've been involved with the youth group. So if you have a uh, student in middle school or high school, you probably have a pretty good idea of who I am because they've probably had to put up with me so and my antics So in their time in, in that. Um, yeah, I'm thinking back, I've been involved with that since I was 23 years old, which means there are 30-year-olds running around that were in the youth group when I was first being a youth sponsor. Yeah, Lindsay's waving. Lindsay was, a, I think, a junior in high school when I started being a youth sponsor, so something that I love and I'm really dedicated to. Um, as Eric said also, I've been involved in leadership. This is my fifth year on the board. I was just elected as an elder um, last month, so I'm, it's new to me. It's a new position to me. I'm looking forward to it. Um, why am I here? Why am I up here? Um, two reasons for that. Like Eric said, number one, Ronnie's gone. Somebody's got to be up here. Um, he asked me, Eric asked me to do this, and the real reason I'm up here is because he asked and I said yes. Um, I used to be a person that uh, my go-to answer was no. Um, I don't know if anyone can identify with that, but if I was asked to do something, unless I had a good reason to, I would say no. And uh, through growth, I've kind of, I like to think of myself as someone who's the opposite of that now. I'm, my go-to answer is yes. If I get asked and I don't have a good reason, I'm probably going to do it. So um, that being said, we're going to jump right in. Um, we're on our uh, sermon series called Armor Up. Ronnie gave the first three sermons and then Kevin was up here last week. We're on week five. Um, we're going to talk about the shield of faith. Before I do that, though, I want to shout out to Kevin. I had a couple of conversations with Kevin last week about this. And boy, did he say some things that are true. Doesn't matter how many times you're up here, the nerves are always there. I'm sweating more than I think I have in the 90 degree heat um, all week. I work outside and I think I'm sweating more than I did outside. Uh, the nerves are real. And then the other thing he said is that uh, for whatever reason, I don't like to hear myself talk either. So I'm going to put up with it, but you're going to have to put up with it too. Um, I made a joke with him last week too. Uh, he made a joke or he made a comment about it being short. He couldn't talk for 20 to 30 minutes about one verse. Um, I can. I'm pretty long-winded. Uh, I made a joke with him that it's a good thing he went short because I'm probably going to take his time. That's not true today. I'm going to try to keep it pretty brief for us. Um, so, um, like I said, let's jump in. Um, our, our verse today is Ephesians 6, 6 through 16. Before I read that, though, I want to go over a little bit about what um, faith is. I want to define faith and tell you what it means to me. Um, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture, and it's not all on that sheet before you, so if you have any questions about what I used or where I found it, come up and talk to me afterwards. I'm going to do the best I can to cite everything, 
but that isn't always possible, and I'm probably going to go fast because I talk fast, so I apologize for that. Um, Hebrews 1.11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.3-4 that as Christians, we are born again into a living hope through the resurrection, that we receive an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. And then Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28 and following that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, to those that he calls to his purpose. He goes on to say that nothing and no one can separate us from the love of Christ, not trials or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword. In short, what faith means to me is that we take God at his word and believe it simply because he says it is so. Um, in her book, I Can Do No Other, author Anna M. Madsen tells a story of how her mentor, Walter Bauman, likes to read mystery novels in an unusual way. So kill me, I'd never do it this way. But he reads the first chapter last and the last chapter first. I said that backwards. He, he reads the last chapter first. He likes to go to the end of the book and see how the book is going to finish because then he can determine whether or not it's worth his time to read the rest of the book. Um, by doing this, he can judge whether that book is worth his time in the same way, he says that we as Christians have led, read the last chapter. We know how the book ends. We know that life wins. We know then that even though we're afraid, we have ultimately nothing to fear. We know that fear and tears and death do not win the day, and we know what sort of life is promised because we know the ways of the one who was raised. In short, we know that no matter what happens in this life, there is another life to come, and that's about the best news that there ever was. Okay, let's dive into this text. Ephesians 6.16 says, Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Three things stand out to me here. Number one, and it's actually at the end of the verse that I'm going to start, Satan is actively trying to destroy us. As Christians, as those who profess Christ, as those who have decided to follow him and name him our Lord and Savior, he's coming after us. Um, the metaphor here is that he's shooting flaming arrows at us, but one of my favorite metaphors used for the devil is found in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, Be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. I think that's an apt analogy. Satan is a lion trying to eat us. And if you're not careful... He's going to. Not physically, not, not in, a, in a sense that's, that's real to this plane of existence, but certainly to the next plane of existence. He's coming after you. He's looking to make you fall down. He's looking to make us deny and sin and do all the things that we know we shouldn't be doing. Okay. Both places it's clear Satan is on the attack. He's cunning and cruel and has a seemingly endless bag of tricks with which to make us stumble. He sows discord, fear, and doubt. He tempts us like we see with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He physically attacks us with sickness and pain like we see in the life and story of Job. His gospel, in his gospel, John calls him the father of lies. I'd like to focus on two particular lies and two particular ways Satan is tricking us in our culture today as Americans. First, he's convinced us that other people are the enemy. I don't know if you've seen the political landscape recently or paid any t attention to it, but people on both sides, it doesn't matter what you believe, you believe the other side is bad. You believe the other side is a bigot or an idiot or 
I don't want to use some of the language they use, but they're not nice things that they call each other. They call each other names. He's convinced our culture that if you disagree with me, you are my enemy. And I think we've bought into that. Those that differ with me politically, people who are from other countries, people who worship other gods or maybe no god at all are not villains. They're not our enemies. They're people that have been fearfully and wonderfully made just like we have. They've been made in the image of God. They're not the bad guy. It's our calling as followers of Christ to treat them with kindness, show them respect, and share with them the hope that we have found in the death and resurrection of our Savior. At our current moment, how hard does it seem to have civil discourse with others that differ from us? I see in this the hand of Satan. Secondly, and possibly, probably, more dangerous, he's convinced us that sin is not sin. Sometimes this is obvious. We can all list or name numerous things in our culture that our culture believes are acceptable that we as Christians would say, no, nah, that's probably not okay. That's sinful. That's something that we shouldn't be partaking in. Those aren't necessarily the things I'm talking about. Satan has always had a sway in culture, and until Christ returns, he always will. I think that he's pulled the wool over the eyes of many in the church. We are unable or unwilling to see sin in our own lives. He has the ability to take our vices and convince us that they are virtues. I've seen this play out in my own life. Anyone who knows me even a little bit um, knows that I have a history of believing that I'm always the smartest person in the room. Some laughter on that. Um, I'm a little bit of a know-it-all. Um, I've got an unflattering inability to admit when I'm wrong. This has bred in me an incredible arrogance that I've often been blind to and in the past was, was completely blind to. When I looked in the mirror, I didn't see arrogance. I saw righteousness. I believed that it was more important to be right and to point out when others were wrong than it was to be kind. Even when others saw the truth and lovingly rebuked me, I was incapable of understanding just how fooled I was. I thought I had a monopoly on truth. And what's worse is I thought that I was honoring God. But really, the only God that I was honoring was myself. I still struggle with humility, but I can finally see my arrogance for what it is, sin. John Piper once said, the two great enemies of our souls are sin and Satan. And sin is the worst enemy because the only way that Satan can destroy us is by getting us to sin and keeping us from repenting. The only thing that damns us is unforgiven sin. Moving on, point number two, faith is meant to be active. I find it interesting that faith is the first piece of armor listed here that we have to be aware of and consciously use. It's not the last because Ronnie will go on in further sermons to talk about the sword of truth, but the three previous have all been pieces of armors that you just strap on and let them do their job. Whether we're talking about the sandals, the belt, the breastplate, these are parts that are all good in use and defense, but they're inactive when it comes to me and my consciousness. A sword on the other hand, sorry, a shield on the other hand is not. A shield is something, a shield is something that I have to actively pick up and use. If I just hold it in my hand or hold it on my arm, it only does good if someone deliberately hits the shield. I have to be moving it. I have to be using it. I have to know how to use it. Um, it's not simply enough to strap it on your arm. It's only effective if you purposefully lift and direct it to block the enemy's attacks. And just 
So, it is not enough to have hope. It is essential that we act on this hope in faith. Hebrews 11 is a pretty common uh, passage that we look to for faith. I'm not going to read it because it's really long. Um, The author of Hebrews just goes through and lists, like, there's about 30 different people. It's not that many. Maybe 20 different people that... Um, from the Old Testament and New that he talks about and how they um, lived in faith. I'm going to highlight some of those, but some people that I don't talk about, Deborah and Samson and David and Barak, and there's a bunch of people, um, Rahab, a bunch of people in there that if you're not familiar with, you should go through and look at. But um, there's a slew of biblical examples of people acting in faith in this section. Through faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. Um, Enoch who's one of two people in the Bible who were spared from death, through faith was spared through death. God spared him from that. Noah built an ark to save his family. Abraham obeyed when he was called to make his home in a far-off land and when he was called to sacrifice his son Isaac. Sarah had faith and conceived a child at an age when she should no longer have been able to. Moses gave up his life of luxury to join the Israelites and lead them to freedom. On and on and on. It is clear that believing is not enough. We must act. James tells us that faith without works is dead, and we must take him at his word. What is the best way to shield ourselves from Satan's attack? Acting in faith. Caring for the widows and the orphans, the poor and the refugees. Protecting those who can't protect themselves. Speaking for the voiceless. Using our privilege for the sake of those less privileged. And most importantly, giving hope to the hopeless. In the parable of sheep and goats, Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of my brothers, you did for me. Um, Reverend Roberta Nelson once claimed that faith is a verb. She said that faith is an active process rather than a stable state. Faith is not an estate to be attained or a stage to be realized. It's a way of being and moving. It is something we do. It is an action word, a verb. It changes and expands. It involves action with others. Now, I read that the first time and thought, from a grammatical standpoint, it's, it's garbage. It doesn't make any sense because the way we use faith in English is obviously a noun. We don't do faith. We have faith. It's something that's given to us by God. It's something that we have. It's, we don't go faithing like we go running, right? It's not a verb. It's not in that sense. But from a theological standpoint, I think she's got some ground to stand on. Um, faith is not simply that something that you do or something that you have. It's something that you do. Um, Finally, our faith is stronger together. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.12, and this is a pretty common verse that you're probably familiar with, says, And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Um, The metaphor of faith as a shield is a pretty apt one here, I think. Um, And it's definitely very purposeful on Paul's part. Paul knows that his original audience would have had a very specific connotation of armor and one who wears it. In his time and culture, he would clearly be referring to a Roman soldier and the armor and weapons used by a Roman soldier. A shield by itself is designed to be useful in mostly one-on-one combat. It is meant to be held in front of the soldier blocking attacks from the front. But if a soldier is surrounded and overwhelmed, it is far less effective. It cannot block multiple attacks from every angle whether from above, behind, or the sides. A single shield can only do so much. That's why Roman soldiers belonged to units that trained and fought together. They used formations such as the testudu or tortoise formation. There's a picture up here you can see up behind me, and it's probably on your screen if you're at home. I don't know how clear you can see it because of the lighting. But basically what this tortoise formation does is uh, a whole slew of soldiers 
come together and form a, basically a giant cocoon shield where they have a, a, a line of shields in the front, a line of shields above, and oftentimes even a line of shields behind. And this was designed to defend against projectiles like spears and arrows like we see in this passage. A, a, a shield by myself holding up and blocking against arrows raining in from above is only going to do so much. Even if I hold it above my head, I'm leaving my front and my back undefended. And so Romans, they have lots of other formations, but this is the one that I find particularly apt in this because of the projectile um, example Paul uses here is it's purposeful. They're trained to use the shields together. They're trained to lock shields and march and lock shields and defend. Obviously, this isn't a great way to, to go on the offense, but when arrows are being shot at you, it's the best way. It's not an invincible. It's not a perfect formation, but it offers far more protection for soldiers than a single shield would. When locked in this tortoise formation, my shield would offer protection to the men around me just as theirs would offer protection to me. Faith works much like the shields in Paul's example. My faith not only protects me, but it protects those around me as well. Our faith is not meant to be lived alone. We are called to be a part of a body, and that body is to train each other and lift each other up. By having open and honest conversations with fellow believers about faith, philosophy, doubt, and our struggles, we grow and become more able to resist temptation and see through the artifices of the devil. My faith has never been stronger than in seasons when I have been open to dialogue with others, not just believers, but non-believers as well. Oftentimes we seem to cling to our views like Velcro. We live in a time when many only seek out reinforcement from like-minded friends and commentators. The problem with this is that it limits our growth and ability to learn. It is healthy to seek people who have opposing viewpoints and to simply listen, to try and understand what they believe and why they believe it. Too often, I myself personally have succumbed to the temptation to argue without really listening. And again, if you know anything about me, you know that's very true. Um, it's beneficial to the growth of faith to have an open mind and truly believe that I can learn from those who disagree with me. Lastly, a shield is far more effective with a trained user. Imagine sending a civilian into a battle against trained soldiers. I have a basic understanding of how a shield works. You hold it up and you block the attack. But without practice and training, I have a very small chance of surviving a fight against a professional fighter. Just as the military has a responsibility to train its soldiers, the church has a responsibility to prepare its people for spiritual warfare. Training takes more than just showing up and watching and listening. It takes buy-in and active participation. Church, be ready. Satan will do everything in his power to tear you down. Dedicate yourself to strengthening your faith and that of those around you. Um, let me pray for you and then we'll move on. Um, Lord, we love you. Um, I thank you so much for uh, this body of believers. I thank you for your son and the uh, example that he set for us. Um, I ask that we um, just live in faith, that we believe the things that you said just simply because of who you are and that you said them. We believe you. We take you at your word, and we have faith in that. We have hope in that, that this life is more than this world, that there is a world to come that you have promised us, and that it is better than anything we'll ever experience here. I just ask that you help us to actively participate 
in our faith and help those around us as well do the same. In your son's holy name, amen.